Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today Weekend. We're so glad to have you along. If you've got 90 minutes, I want it. We're going to talk to our broadcast partners. All over this world, we're going to gather together at the broadcast table with the men who are reporting current events and giving us then insight into those current events. Keep the dial set right where it is. Ken Timmerman, he's in the Washington, D.C. area. We're ready to talk to him in a moment. By the way, Judy and I are in the Washington, D.C. area as well. I spoke at an international Bible Baptist church. You remember last weekend had great meetings, just unbelievable outreach to the world through the members of this international church. But uh, we've been here a couple of days. I needed to do a site inspection downtown Washington. The second phase of our video shoot, our documentary on America and Bible prophecy, is going to be here in the Washington area. So we went down, went to the Holocaust Museum, had an opportunity to inspect that area, see where we could do shooting for our television program. And uh, it was a great, great visit. We've just had a wonderful time here in Washington. Love the city of Washington, D.C. And of course, it's a very important city as it relates to the world a real foundational area to be in when we're going to talk about the United States in Bible prophecy. All the broadcast partners are coming up in a moment. I want to remind you that after the broadcast, Judy and I leave here, go up to Vineland, New Jersey. I'll be at the Faith Bible Church. Talk more about that in a moment. Ken, let me get to you. I'm sorry we were not able to connect while we were both here in the Washington area, but I've got a lot to talk to you about. First thing is that there's a crumbling skeleton of Islamic State rattling around in the Middle East. That sounds like to me they're going to make a return, a revival of the Islamic State. What do you know? Well, Jimmy, this is exactly what many analysts now are warning about. There's a report from the United Nations that looks regularly at terrorist organizations. They estimate that there are still between 20,000 to 30,000 Islamic State terrorists in Syria and Iraq. Even the Pentagon, although it disputes those numbers, the Pentagon itself believes that there are a significant number of ISIS terrorists remaining there. They are no longer organized in the way that they were before. They don't hold territory in Iraq. They do not have a capital. Uh, They're obviously not in Mosul, but they have gone to ground and they've sort of returned to their primeval state. This is what I describe in my book, ISIS Begins, my novel of the Iraq war, which came out recently. They've returned to the state where they are a vast, powerful, underground network terrorizing people in towns and villages, but they don't come out and engage in open warfare as they had been doing before. They do not occupy territory as they did before, but they are there as a latent force. This is very dangerous, and uh, it's going to be difficult for the U.S. military and our allies to route them out. There's a question that begs to be asked, and that is, is Islamic State ready to push for another caliphate? Can they come back that powerful again or not? Well, that is the question, isn't it? And you have the Islamic State pairing with other groups and moving to other places. They're now going into Khorasan province in Afghanistan. 
uh, and there, there are several thousand of them there. We've seen uh, a recent spate of terrorist attacks in Afghanistan, many of them carried out by Islamic State uh, guerrilla forces. They have definitely not given up the notion of establishing uh, an Islamic caliphate, but for the time being, they don't yet have the territory in which to declare it. My guess is that they are seeking a foothold, a solid foothold, in Afghanistan, and that that is where you will see the next uh, emergence of an Islamic state with territory on the ground. I want to ask my broadcast partner, David Dolan, who covers the Middle East for us, about what I'm going to ask you next. But from your perspective, what do you know about Hezbollah, who say they are stronger than the Israeli Defense Force and they're ready to go to war? Is that bravado or are they serious? Uh, well, they may be ready to go to war, but they're certainly not stronger than the IDF. I mean, that is just uh, bombastic pretending on their part. Hezbollah is a different force. It's not a standing army the way that the IDF is. They have engaged, however, over the past couple of years in Syria in more conventional military operations, so they're gaining that kind of experience. They showed during the 2006 war uh, with Israel, where I was reporting on the ground at that time for, for Newsmax and for CNBC, uh, they showed that they had a much more developed logistical capability uh, than anybody had expected uh, previously, including the Israelis. They, the Israelis would bomb an area that they thought was a command center of Hezbollah in south Lebanon, and 300 yards away, they'd see a puff of smoke where the smoke had basically traveled underground through a series of tunnels that the Israelis didn't know existed and came out from another place. Uh, so Hezbollah had burrowed underground uh, with a sophistication that, that the Israelis had not suspected at that time. They have rebuilt those underground capabilities. We know that they are seeking to tunnel into Israel from the South Lebanon so they can carry out uh, kidnappings inside Israel. Uh, this is exactly how... They triggered the war in 2006 by kidnapping Israeli soldiers. At that point, it was in the demilitarized zone between the two fences on the border. But what they want to do now is actually tunnel beneath the border zone into Israel itself and capture Israelis in the, the Galilee, uh, in kibbutzes or other places like that. So they are powerful. They do have a capability. But they are, at the same time, they are boasting uh, of their capabilities. Yeah, I think back in, I think it was 2006 when Hezbollah tried to take on and destroy Israel. The problem was that the Israeli Defense Force did not react with the power they have, and they let Hezbollah live to have another day. That may have been the problem. Well, there's an Islamic organization, uh, some agents in the heart of the state of Israel, who are calling for all Islamic states, 57 of them around the world, to join forces to go against Israel. Now, that's a prophetic scenario, but it, is it reality on the ground, Ken? Uh, it's not reality on the ground because there are so many of those Muslim countries, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Egypt in particular, who are actually uh, working with Israel, not against Israel. And they're working with Israel against these radical Islamist uh, organizations, including this one, Hezbollah Tahrir. Now, this is a kind of funny group, Jimmy. Hezbollah Tahrir, for many, many years, has been considered by so-called experts on terrorism as a moderate group, as a sort of Muslim Brotherhood affiliate 
mainly based in Europe, that has not been calling for armed jihad against the West or against Israel or against America. But I can tell you, they've been just wrong. Uh, I can remember meeting one of the leaders of Hezbollah Tahrir in London in 1998 when I was working for Reader's Digest uh, investigating a then-unknown Saudi financier of terrorism, Osama bin Laden. And mm. this Hezbollah Tahrir leader uh, uh, told me that they were recruiting for Mohammed's army. This is 1998. They were recruiting Muslims in Europe to join Mohammed's army to launch a worldwide war against non-Muslims, Christians, Jews, the state of Israel, obviously, but also uh, in places like India against Hindus. Uh, so they have been around for an awful long time. They are not a moderate organization. They are a jihadi group. They do seek to establish the caliphate. They have reared their ugly head in Israel and the Palestinian authorities, uh, the Palestinian territories recently, and, and that's where uh, the trouble is beginning. I think the Israelis are going to have to wrap them up, and I hope they uh, are successful in doing so. You know, every time we have a conversation, can I learn more about you? Covering for Reader's Digest. I didn't know they had foreign correspondents, and you were investigating a guy named Osama bin Laden. You have a vast experience. That's unbelievable, buddy. When we first did that story, he was so unknown, we couldn't get a photograph of him when we published the story in June of 1998. And of course, one month later, he blew up two U.S. embassies in Africa and was all over the front pages of the newspapers. That's why we bring Ken Timmerman to these microphones to give us the insight he's gained over many years of experience. Let me ask you one final question, if you will, Ken. Russia is starting to exert its growing clout in the Middle East by patrolling in Syria, north of the Israeli-Syrian border. How do we deal with this type of situation? What an amazing development. If you had told me, or just about anybody, 40 years ago that Russia would have soldiers on the ground uh, enforcing a ceasefire between Israel and one of its Arab neighbors, uh, you would have said, oh, that's not possible because the Americans will never permit it. Well, here we are all these years later, and the U.S. government is still recovering from eight years of feckless leadership under Obama, who actually allowed the Russians to come into the Middle East militarily, the U.S. is not in a position to expel them. And the, the Russians, because of their relationship with the Syrian government, the Syrian regime, is able now to do what they have never been able to do before, position themselves as a player on the ground with military capabilities, military forces on the ground in the Middle East. Unheard of unheard of, and something that should have been avoided over the past eight years, but now this is where we are. It was not avoided, and it is setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I want to tell the listeners right now, Ken, they have a great privilege when we can get a hold of you and have you on the broadcast with us. You have such great insight, information we need to know, and let me thank you so much for being available to us. And I hope you're around next week when we can have another conversation. I should be. God bless, Jimmy. Thank you so much. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll go more in-depth into the Middle East with David Dolan. He has his Middle East news update. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today, temporary studios right here in Washington, D.C. Had a great opportunity yesterday to kind of do a site inspection. We're going to do the second shoot, the second part of our three-part shoot for my new DVD documentary, The United States in Bible Prophecy. It's going to be done right here in Washington. Went down, looked the area over yesterday to find out some of the locations where it would be best to be positioned to tell you the story about the United States and Bible prophecy. Looking forward to that coming out sometime in December. I want to remind you, right after the broadcast, we head up to Vineland, New Jersey. We're going to be at the Faith Bible Church all day on Sunday, a one-day prophecy conference. We'll begin everything at 9.15. I'll have a combined Sunday school class. We're going to be talking about the last words that Jesus had for the church itself. They're recorded there in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, title of the message, Let Them Hear. And then at the 10.30 hour, we're going to have the second service, the morning service. I'm going to be talking about presidents, politics, and prophecy, and in particular, a focus on the city of Jerusalem that came about, actually, because of a president making a political decision. Of course, that's Donald Trump. Hope you can come join us. That's in Vineland, New Jersey, Faith Bible Church. Well, let's get to, as I promised, David Dolan. He has our Middle East news update. David Hezbollah is claiming that they're stronger than the Israeli Defense Force. They're ready to go to war. Now, they've been on that ready spot a long time, but it looks really serious right now, doesn't it? 
Well, it does, Jimmy. Of course, they are an adjunct to the Russian-led assault against the opponents of the Assad regime, and they've had oh, up to three, 4,000 fighters, uh, maybe more. That's what we know about, but some reports say it could be double or triple that operating in uh, Syria. And as I said last week, they've been, you know, involved in active combat, so they are every day going to war, as it were, every day learning new techniques and becoming presumably better fighters in the process. They possess this huge uh, rocket arsenal that is mostly from Iran. They work with the other terror groups in Syria and Lebanon, too. Uh, and we had uh, this week an announcement by the Israeli Shin Bet that a terrorist operation had been thwarted in Jerusalem. A 30-year-old Palestinian had been recruited by a Syrian operative. Now, they didn't name exactly who it was, but somebody based in Syria had ordered the assassination of the prime minister, uh, Bibi Netanyahu, and other Israeli leaders, and this man was delegated to carry some of that out. So they thwarted that. But, Jimmy, it's a very serious situation, and, of course, the Israelis don't want any war with Hezbollah. They're worried more about the situation with Hamas at the moment, but Hezbollah could at any time open up fire on Israel, and that would be under the orders of Iran, and that would be if Iran has decided to go to war against Israel, and those are the questions that remain in the air right now, and we still have that statement floating around a couple weeks ago from that Iranian general that based in Syria that they are waiting for orders from Tehran to attack Israel. Whether that will come or not, we don't know, but it certainly could, and Hezbollah would be a big part of any such operation. And however, David, at the same time, there's been a list produced of the most powerful countries in the world militarily, but adding other factors in as well. Israel is in the top 10 of that list. They're actually number eight. So they're a pretty strong fighting force, a strong nation among the nations of the world, and Hezbollah wants to attack them, even Iran. I mean, uh, they're not that strong, and here they want to attack Israel as well. Kind of stupid thinking on some of these enemies of Israel's thinking. Well, it really is. It's no question who would win. You know, what I'm talking about are the ground forces. The Israeli ground forces have been involved in very little combat activity over the past couple decades, actually. And therefore, they may be not as primed and ready to go for ground operations. But of course, Israel's strength always has been and remains its air force. It has a tremendous air force, a tremendous military overall, but a great air force. And they are in operation all the time over Gaza and sometimes in Lebanon and Syria. So they are up to speed totally and certainly a much a stronger force than Iran has in the air. Israel's navy is uh, pretty good as well, and it has a good ground force. I'm not saying that they would uh, lose fights uh, on the ground, but they uh, would be fighting on the ground against uh, guys that have been regularly fighting every day for the past several years. So that uh, is the only worry that the Israelis have, that that may give on the ground an advantage to their opponents. I don't know if you've read this report or not, David, but uh, there is a report out that Israel's greatest weakness would be an attack on their nuclear reactors and then most likely their nuclear arsenal as well. What do you know about that? Well, Jimmy, there was some speculation I mentioned last week that a Grad rocket had been fired from Gaza at Beersheba, the town of Beersheba. Well, near Beersheba is the Dimona nuclear reactor that Israel has. They also have another one that is unofficial, 
closer to Tel Aviv, those could potentially be hit and create a disaster, uh, a Chernobyl disaster, the release of copious amounts of radioactive material into the air. Ironically, again, Jimmy, the prevailing winds in the Middle East, as they are in most of the world, are from west to east, and therefore the radiation would be carried into Jordan, Iraq, and Tada, Iran. And other countries to the east would get the bulk of it. But nevertheless, that would be a huge humanitarian disaster. And, it, of course, the winds could be going to the north or to the south or anywhere that day. And the radiation could and they indeed spread all over Israel, too. So it's just a horrific thought. It has been attempted before. And uh, they may still try to do that. But the Israelis have hardened their reactors, Jimmy, and they have all the time they're watching for any such attack. But that grad attack was a warning that this may be something that they're going to plan again and try to carry out in the near future. Just a moment ago, you were talking about Hezbollah in the north. You mentioned Hamas in the south there in the Gaza Strip. There's now a report coming out of the Israeli cabinet, one of the members of the cabinet making a statement, Israel is closer than ever to taking out Hamas and its leadership than they've ever been before. Is that a viable possibility in your opinion? Very much so. And uh, Avigdor Lieberman, the defense minister, has made abundantly clear that Israel is fed up with these balloon attacks. And by the way, yesterday, Jimmy, another incendiary balloon was sent into Israeli territory from the Gaza Strip. Uh, we also had a stabbing in the old city uh, of policemen. He wasn't injured, but the stabber was uh, was killed uh, by others that were watching this attack. So the terror continues. But, Jimmy, at the same time, we have all these reports of peace talks going on in Cairo. And they there is something happening. The Egyptian government is involved. The U.N. is involved. And they're indicating they are on the brink of a ceasefire agreement. Well, like I said last week, the Israelis really do not want to take on Hamas right now. Why not right now? Because the North, the situation with Hezbollah and in Syria and Iran is so tense and so on edge with the possibility of war there so likely that the last thing Israel needs is a two-front war. So if it's up to Israel to choose the timing of this, they will wait and probably agree to this ceasefire. But I, I just read a report in an Israeli paper this morning, Jimmy, and they're saying that any such ceasefire wouldn't last like the others haven't in the past, that uh, the, only, the only real solution is to get rid of Hamas. And Jimmy, by the way, it, this is ironic. The reason that Hamas is still in power after 11 years in the Gaza Strip is because of Israeli air defenses. Their anti-missile rockets, the Iron Dome system in particular, is so good that it actually knocks out these rockets most of the time, not always, but most of the time before they hit. Had that not been the case, we would have had, for instance, four years ago in the summer war, we would have had hundreds of Israeli casualties. Well, if we'd have had that, and civilians in particular, then at that time the Israelis would have gone and had finished Hamas entirely. But because we haven't had those casualties, because of the defenses, Hamas is still there. But the Israeli government is clearly fed up. They've had enough of this. Hamas has to go. Everyone agrees. So if you hear of a ceasefire, as you may any day, it's only going to be until the time is ripe for Israel to take this group out. I'm sure of that. Yeah, I'm absolutely positive as well. That is the case. And there is a report out that uh, the Trump P-51 
peace plan that he wants to present is actually going to cause problems to the Palestinians and the Israelis. So that's not sounding good as well. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us, he's been doing it for over 30, 35 years. He's an expert in the field. He has great insight. We must have him each and every week. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll have another conversation next week. We will, Jimmy. God bless. I'm going to take a break right now. When I come back, Winky Madad is standing by. Uh, The Palestinians are getting ready at the United Nations to try to have Israel expelled. And it's because of the nationality law. We'll talk with Winky about that in a moment right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our second half hour. I've asked you for three half hours, 90 minutes in total, so we're able to get an opportunity to make contact with our broadcast partners and get the details behind the headlines that are happening around the world. Now we're going to Israel and talking with Winky Madad in Shiloh, center part of the state, one of the most historic biblical towns in all of the Jewish state of Israel. Winky, I wanted to spend a moment talking with you. Earlier this month, we had a conversation about the new law that was passed by the Knesset. They're now calling it the nationality law. But however, the Palestinian people are in an uproar. They've gone to the United Nations with an effort to try to expel Israel. I want to get into this discussion with you, but Winky, if you will, just rehearse quickly for us, what is this nationality law? Well, the Israel as a Jewish nation law actually sort of collects a lot of the either phrases or existing laws from the Declaration of Independence and other elements and puts them all into one declarative law. The the law itself doesn't punish anybody or or anything. It's very, as we say, declarative. It talks about the Hebrew language. It talks about the Jewish nation. It talks about settlement in the land of Israel, or I should say, actually, I take that back. It's in the state of Israel. And all sorts of other elements, because of the fact 
that all these people who are angry, as you mentioned, especially Mr. Abbas, are basically saying, well, there's a Palestinian nation, and you can't interrupt or tread on our uh, sort of identity, and yet at the same time deny us, the Jewish people in the land of Israel, to whom the land belongs for over 3,000 years, to say that we have sort of no rights while keeping to themselves those same rights. They declare us apartheid, declare us discriminatory, uh, non-democratic. Jimmy, all these things are wrong. And, in fact, all of these elements and the, and the protests prove that basically the law, the law was very much needed. And if it wasn't for the Jewish democratic character of the state of Israel, none of the what they want would be able to be assured. They're arguing back and forth trying some way to undermine the, the right of the Jews to a nation-state that we've been talking about, I don't know how, from 15 years or more on these programs, that's trying to be denied us. Winky, let me make sure that everybody understands what you just said a moment ago. This law actually simply establishes the fact that there is a flag, a flag for the state of Israel. The Hebrew language is the mother tongue for the Jewish people in Israel. Some of the symbols that Israel will use to convey to the world we are a Jewish state. Is that correct? Now just restate that so people get that and understand it. For your listening audience and our listening audience, Jimmy, nothing in the law was created Two weeks ago. It has been existence in the state of Israel, most of it since 1948 from the Declaration of Independence, and from several other laws that have existed and have been legislated over 30, 40, or 20 years ago. They've sort of been cherry-picked from various, uh, as I said, pieces of legislature and put into one bill, which we call a basic law. Let me explain to the audience. Israel has no constitution, Jimmy, not like the United States and France and some other countries. It does have a series of what we call basic laws that have a a level of constitutionality about them. And these laws deal with uh, freedom of employment, uh, freedom of dignity. Uh, Many civil rights elements are in those laws. And what they did was they collected all the things that make Israel the Jewish state. And I remind us all, I could go and make a very long list, but let's just take the United Nations in 47. When they made their partition plan proposal, it said a Jewish state shall be established. It wasn't the Jews who said a Jewish state should be established. It was the the very non-Jewish United Nations who said so. But it seems bringing all this together in one sort of basket of uh, nine or ten subparagraphs has uh, annoyed some people who don't want to see us, as you and I repeat so many times, the Jewish people in the Jewish homeland controlling, ruling, administrating themselves as the Jewish state. Absolutely, absolutely. Let me ask you a direct question. Does this law affect any rights for minority citizens of the state of Israel? Not at all. Nothing has been negated. Nothing has been delineated from the law books. Uh, The only thing that sort of may be upsetting is that 
uh, instead of saying that uh, officially Arab, uh, Arabic is, is a language, it says it shall have special status. That's the only thing that perhaps someone could get bothered about. But too many left-wing liberal progressive groups, as well as Arab nationalists themselves, have been misinterpreting, misrepresenting what is in the content of that law. And too many people, unfortunately, take their word above that of everybody else in Israel's government. Now, Winky, the Palestinian Authority, that is the governmental operation for the Palestinian body politic, they're demanding that the United Nations expel Israel because of this law. Why is that the case? Uh, because the 15,000 other attempts by them to expel Israel haven't worked. They have been trying to expel Israel, deny Israel, eliminate the concept of a Jewish Zionist entity in the Middle East ever since about 1920. So this is not new. I mean, they're looking for excuses. They'll make up excuses. I've been reading some of the things that uh, Mahmoud Abbas has been saying. They get more ridiculous. He can't even make peace with Hamas, which is his own so-called Palestinian partner. So how does he expect to make peace with us? It's all a fake presentation of a supposed, as you said, administrative body politic, which really all it does is pay its uh, terrorists to kill Jews. If I remember correctly, I understand there are about 200 member states in the United Nations. I have information that about 137 of them are pro-Palestinian state, a state of Palestine, which has never been, and as far as I'm concerned, biblically, it never will be. But however, they're the ones leading the charge to try to expel the Jewish state of Israel. Do you think that is at all a possibility? One of Israel's foreign ministers said that the United Nations wanted to declare the earth flat. They could probably pass that. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, though, Jimmy, that in 1975, led by the Soviet Union, the United Nations declared Zionism as a racist ideology, and it was eventually rolled back mainly by pressure through the United States. We cannot overrule the Arab bloc, or what they call the developing nations bloc within the United Nations. I think President Trump and Ambassador Nikki Haley have been very frustrated by the United Nations Human Rights Council and some other bodies in there uh, to the fact of uh, withdrawing participation and membership. Or, for example, the UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, that deals with the so-called refugees from Palestine, when they also want to try to defund that. And the United States has passed the uh, Taylor Force Law uh, to cut off funding from the Palestinian Authority if they continue to pay money to Arab terrorists who have killed people, including Americans like uh, uh, the former soldier Taylor Force. So at least the uh, United States and Israel are united on this sense, even if they have 137 votes. Winky, I know that uh, the Arab League, 23 Arab nations, concluded that they believe what's happening is that this is a bid to continue the Israeli occupation of the Palestinian state or their property, their territories, whatever. I mean, there has never been a Palestinian state, has there, Winky? And how can you occupy something that was never there? A, you're absolutely correct. Uh, I think I pointed out on this program several times that deep into the 1920s, 
the Arabs of Palestine, which then, of course, was a mandate. Uh, and parenthetically, Jimmy, if it wasn't the Jews and Zionism, there wouldn't have been Palestine. Uh, you know, no one really knew what a Palestine was except saying something like, oh, that's where the Jews are from, aren't correct? The point is, Jimmy, that not only did they declare themselves southern Palestinians, uh, but when they did have what they call the West Bank and what you and I call Judea and Samaria for 19 years, they never set up a Palestinian state. Uh, if they don't do it, we have to do it. And another thing which I neglected to mention about the nation-state, you, you mentioned all the Arab League states. Look up their constitutions, Jimmy. All of them are Islamic, with Arabic as the, as the language, and, uh, and everything that they claim that we are doing with this nation law, which we aren't, they themselves have in their own constitutions of over uh, 24 uh, countries that claim to be members of the Arab League. So it's very, very hypocritical, at the very least, uh, to try to point the finger at Israel when all their uh, government documents or the foundation documents of the states do the same thing they claim that Israel does. Well, God has made a promise that the Jews would have a Jewish state. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 22 makes the statement, When I could swear by nothing greater, I swore by my name that I would give the Jewish people a state. And he seems to have followed through, has he not, Winky? He's doing very good. We have to do better. We have to connect ourselves not only with history, but the God who directs history, or at least gives us direction to how we should conduct our human affairs on earth. And I think that would be the best for everybody, from a moral, from an ethical, from a philosophical and from a cultural point of view, that man should be human, and humankind should follow God. That's the voice of Winky Madad, historian, politician, media guy. He knows it all. And when we want to get the truth behind what's happening in Israel, we always catch up with our broadcast partner, Winky Madad. Thank you so much, my good friend. We'll have another conversation real soon. Jimmy, thank you for having me on again, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Very informative report coming in from Winky Madad. Wanted to make everything clear for you, the listener, so you can really understand what's unfolding there in Israel between the Israelis and the Palestinians and that conflict that's continuing and only intensifying. There's another region of the world that is key to our understanding of Bible prophecy. It's the forerunner or the precursor or the foundation for the revived Roman Empire, and that has to be the European Union. The man who covers that for us actually lived in that area for over 25 years. He lived in Brussels, Belgium. And that is the, of course, headquarters for the European Union. His name is John Rood. He's one of our great broadcast partners. So glad to have you along, John. And let me get underway with what I want to talk to you about. The Turkish court, once again, has rejected the appeal to release the U.S. pastor. Talk to me about that and why in the world have they put this pastor in confinement? I mean... You know, he's been there for 20 years, and Izmir has pastored a church there. I don't understand what the purpose behind all of this is. That's a very good question, Jimmy. It should be now that 
You know, the U.S. pastor that's been detained now for much more than a year in Turkey, Andrew Brunson, he should be a household name now. There have been two repeals for his release from the House arrest that have been rejected, and then a higher court has just kept his House arrest as well. But the ramifications of Turkey's hardline stance, saying that he's been guilty of terror and espionage, faces charges for 35 years. It's brought enormous effect now on international relations. So it's amazing that a pastor, a missionary that's been in Turkey for some 20 years, has now become the forefront issue. President Trump has put now engaged further uh, tariffs on Turkey. The Turkish lira fell 15% against the dollar in one day. Such a currency movement is nearly uh, unheard of. But people aren't necessarily aware of the timeline of what has happened. He's basically been an example from Turkey. I don't think that the Turkish president necessarily feels threatened at all by the small church that was pastored in Izmir, but it's to formulate, to strengthen his stand as a victor, perhaps over Christianity. This has been noticed, and we have a timeline that people should be aware of. February 2017, we had 78 members of the U.S. Congress. They sent a letter to the Turkish president for his release. So this is well over a year ago, 78 members of the U.S. Congress. And, surprisingly, May of this year, 50 members of the European Parliament sent a letter to the Turkish president for his release. So people realize that these charges are are falsified, and he's been made an example. It has come to the forefront of international relations. You know, I think that brings the question then for us at the broadcast table to consider. Does Turkey really belong in the future of NATO? They are a NATO member, but they're certainly not acting like it. Are they a partner for the NATO organization for the future? NATO has many challenges now. Of course, they're formed to respond and to formulate a plan for external challenges. But now they have significant internal challenges as well. There needs to be a cohesion and a purpose. But it comes down to it that fundamentalist Islamic cultures don't fit well in today's NATO in purpose which has secular Western values. What is happening then if, if there is a, a dissension, if there is a, a less of a, an effectiveness, then it creates a, a vacuum to some extent. And so now the EU military uh, system has been pressured to step up, but they're so highly fragmented they are really not able to, to meet that need at the moment. So you have a NATO that's going under extreme forces and pressures. Turkey is a member, obviously. Uh, NATO was formed in 1949. Turkey's been a member since 1952. But Turkey has not been keeping the democratic uh, standards of NATO. They're not necessarily tolerating diversity. They're not necessarily respecting the borders. In Turkey, I'm certain this would be presented as not just a NATO issue, but it's a Western civilization 
Islam civilization issue, and that is the platform that's there. What can happen? It's so fragmented. The EU is not able to step up, but NATO as a whole, as it's existing today, has major challenges going forward. Yes, John, and this is going to make it very difficult for Turkey, I believe, to continue on in NATO as a partner with the member states of NATO. And, of course, the prophetic scenario has another plan for Turkey anyway. Hey, a couple of weeks back, we talked about the the Mediterranean Union, and nobody seems to be talking about it anymore. Remind everybody quickly, what is the Mediterranean Union and what's going on right now? That is so true, Jimmy. Of all the topics that I research and, and teach for decades with the European Union, Revive Roman Empire, this topic is one of the very least understood and, uh, and known. So there was Barcelona process, and that became what was known as the Euromed Group, which became, it's a 10-year anniversary now, just last month, the Union for the Mediterranean. So this is the 28 European Union countries, and then it has uh, countries that are in the Middle East and North Africa, 43 countries in total. So they actually, when you take a look at a map, it, it resembles closely the geographic area of the ancient Roman Empire, of these 43 nations. There, there's exceptions. The Roman Empire didn't go to Scotland. Of course, we have Brexit, so they would be kicked out. The uh, Roman Empire didn't go to Ireland, which is part of today's EU. But overall, they've had joint parliamentary sessions. There has been a roadmap for action um, the beginning of this year. It's the first political document that the Union for the Mediterranean has put out since 2008. There's enormous amounts of money. I even thought it was a typo, but 16 billion euros uh, from 1995 to 2016 have gone into the programs. They've proved pretty much ineffective. So what's happening, it's really, it's sort of a gravy train. It's been swept under the carpet, the, the media doesn't pay any attention to it, the Union for the Mediterranean, 43 nations. But it's a large sums of money going through, and it's basically a gravy train type operation that operates from being quiet. In that respect, it's kind of similar to the European Parliament. Well, and there they are, right there in the face of everybody, and it's a viable possibility that they would indeed be included with the European Union 28 member states there in the continent of Europe itself, and thus could well be the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. One of the major players in the European Union, France, and we've been watching actually the rise and fall of President Macron, uh, quickly, tell me about uh, what's going on with that, and is it a concern we should have? President Macron, he was carefully chosen. You can bet that these the leaders are chosen in terms of European Union hierarchy. To further EU objectives, France elections, very critical because the right parties were gaining some momentum. He's been a disappointment to, to France. The reforms have been cosmetic. The economic growth is nearly zero. But now there's a new scandal, nothing new to uh, French heads of state, but uh, his bodyguard was taking very violent actions on people 
uh, in protests. He's been quiet about it. His quote actually was, I see media power wants to become the judicial power. The French presidency is much more separated from their personal lives in the media than in the United States. And uh, the media is controlled by the government. In Europe, as you know, the television channels are national channels. There's not anything really like a local channel. So it's very easy to have party-line government communications through national TV channels. Uh, many scandals with French heads of state, De Gaulle, Mitterrand, Chirac, and so it appears that Macron is joining the list, and uh, it could be an existential crisis for him as well. We'll have to stay tuned. Yes, absolutely. We will stay tuned with our broadcast partner, John Rood. As we talk politics, dear friends, you've been listening to the conversation. Everything is seemingly setting the stage for prophecy to be fulfilled. That's why we have John at these microphones at the broadcast table every single week. John, great report. Thank you so much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. We're going to now come to the favorite time that I have here on Prophecy Today weekend. That's Prophecy Q&A. We've got a question from one of our listeners. Jim Jr. comes to the microphone with that question. Go ahead, Jim. We have a question that came in. Sandra sends in, what position does Dr. DeYoung subscribe to? Pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? Well, immediately I can give the short answer. It's pre-trib. I believe the rapture of the church takes place prior to the tribulation. And I have some reasons for making that statement, Sandra. Let me tell you, uh, first of all, if you literally translate the Word of God, you interpret God's Word literally. That's the conclusion you're going to have to come to. You would have to either spiritualize or allegorize passages of Scripture to come to any other conclusion. Now, that literal interpretation of the word, the literal translation is key to coming to that position as it relates to the tribulation. Secondly, the word church is used uh, 25 times in the book of Revelation. It's used 19 times from chapter 1 through chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1 is the time of the rapture of the church. And the word church used 19 times before chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 1911 is the return of Christ back to the earth. So there's 16 chapters between chapter 4, verse 1, and chapter 1911. Those are the 16 chapters that describe that tribulation period. And the word church is not used one time during those 16 chapters. It seems if the Lord is going to put the church in the tribulation, he would mention talking about it, tell us what we're supposed to be doing then. We are not in the tribulation period. Uh, There was a letter that Jesus Christ gave to John the Revelator to give to the angel of the Church of Philadelphia. And in that passage of Scripture, that's Revelation chapter 3, verse 10 is what I'm referring to. He says, I will keep you from. You can look at the grammar there. You can look at the Greek grammar. It didn't say, I will take you out of. I will keep you from that time of testing, that hour of testing, the tribulation period is what it's referring to. And thus, he was talking to Christians who will not go into the tribulation period. First Thessalonians chapter 5, the apostle Paul, who introduced for the church, the church at Thessaloniki, to be exact, but to all the church, how the rapture would take place in chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. He talks about the procedure. Jesus shouts, archangel shouts, trouble God sounds. We're caught out to be with him. He goes on with that discussion with the people in Thessaloniki, and there in 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, he again says, I will keep you from that wrath to come. You can go back in the Old Testament, Daniel 9, 27. You see, Daniel 9, 24 to 27 is talking about a 490-year period of time. 483 of those years have been fulfilled, and in fact, from a certain point in history, indeed, that time was when Artaxerxes, the king, gave Nehemiah the right and the privilege to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city and the streets of the city. The temple was already up, but the walls and the streets were a mess. It was the laughingstock of the world. So Nehemiah wanted to go back and rebuild the walls and the streets. From that time, the command was given, that's Nehemiah chapter 2, until Jesus Christ, until the Messiah, says Hamashiach there in that passage of Scripture, until Christ would be cut off, in other words, crucified, uh, that would be 483 of those 490 years. And this all had to happen, indeed, before the temple was destroyed, the city devastated, which happened in 70 A.D., and that leaves a seven-year period of time. Now, the church was not in those four, first 483 years, thus to be consistent in your interpretation of Scripture and your hermeneutic of Scripture, you would then have to say the church won't be in that seven-year period of time. And that's that seven years described by Revelation 4 to 19. So I'm pre-trib, and that's why I am that way. Thank you, Sandra, for that question. And as always, Dad, great, concise answer. We should always be ready to give an answer for what we believe. We're going to have to take a break, and when we return, Dave James will be speaking to Dad about spiritual mapping right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our last half hour. Thank you for the first 60 minutes. We need 30 more to complete our instruction for you to understand how current events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Thus far, we've had our broadcast partners reporting on a number of issues with great insight into the details behind all of these current events. I want you to answer our poll question, if you will. Go to my homepage on my website, prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column, if you'll just scroll down, you'll find the poll question. Here it is. Does Israel have a right to pass a law that states they are a Jewish state? Or is the Palestinian Authority effort to have the United Nations expel Israel from this world government simply a part of the end-time scenario that is found in the Bible for the Palestinians in the end times? That poll question, I'd love for you to answer it. It's on my homepage, prophecytoday.com. Go there and answer the question. And if you want to go to Israel with us, well, we'd love to have you do that as well. Go into the land of the Bible, to the location where all of the prophecy that we talk about will be fulfilled. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel, and there you'll get all the information you need about a tour to Israel. We now bring to these microphones David James. Here at the broadcast table, we're going to have our weekly conversation. And this week, we received a question from one of our listeners that we'll be discussing here in a few moments. But before we get to that, I want to take the opportunity to encourage all of our listeners 
to make contact with us at any time and with any question you may have. Would you agree with that, David? Yes, I would definitely agree with that. You know, over the years, we've been doing this about four and a half years now. We've had a lot of uh, feedback from listeners. Uh, sometimes I receive emails through the Alliance for Biblical Integrity website. Sometimes I receive things uh, that are forwarded to me that they've directed to the Prophecy Today website. And I would just like to uh, just share a couple really, I think, uh, have been a very encouraging contacts uh, that we've had over the years. Uh, several years ago, you and I did a conference in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, at Louisiana Baptist University, and we had a pastor from Sweden who uh, listens to us regularly uh, on the Internet, and uh, he came down to take the courses that you and I and Jimmy Jr. were teaching that week, and as a result of that, I ended up making my first trip not only to Sweden to, to speak at a missions conference at his church, so that was a great connection. In fact, just this past weekend, I was in southwestern Wisconsin at Cassville, which is right on the Mississippi River. My room was 100 feet off the Mississippi River. It was quite amazing. And the pastor of that church was a former Word of Life missionary, but he's got a guy, and I'll give a shout-out to Peter. Because of Peter and uh, our connection, Peter asked him one day, hey, do you know Dave James? And he said, yeah, I do. And so I actually had a great ministry this past weekend. So these connections that we have with our listeners are really, they're very important to us. I've responded to many emails privately, but occasionally we deal with them on the air as well. So it's really really great for us, and, and hopefully it's good for our listeners as well. Well, absolutely. I'm excited about the listeners wanting to interact with us. We do that on Prophecy Q&A as well. Well, let's turn our attention to the email that we've received this week, David. I hope our discussion will not only be a help for him, but for any others out there who may have questions of concerns along the same line. Uh, it's not a long email, so David, why don't you just take a moment and read it for our listeners? Well, sure. This is from Dean, and he says, uh, and this is about a topic called prayer mapping. So he says, hey, Jimmy, I have been listening to a few podcasts where the persons have been speaking favorably about prayer mapping. Perhaps you or you and David James could discuss this sometime. It seems to me that it's become quite popular within the church these days. I did a search for prayer mapping, and the first three pages, I assume he means on his uh, Google search, says that came up, all spoke of it as being something good. I've got my doubts. Thanks, brother. Really appreciate all you guys do over there at Prophecy Today. That's a neat letter. Thank you so much, dear brother, for asking us the question and making contact with us. David, could you briefly explain what prayer mapping is and why this is an important issue that we need to discuss? Well, it is an important issue, as Dean said, it has become more popular over the years. It's something that actually really kind of began in the 1980s with uh, C. Peter Wagner and John Wimber, who were at the time teaching at Fuller Seminary out in California, and they basically launched what they called the third wave of the movement of the Holy Spirit in the uh, 20th century, and they began teaching a course on signs and wonders. And uh, in my research, I found a a website called prayerstrategy.org, and I'll just 
quote a few things from their website as they describe and answer the question, what is prayer mapping? They say, the history of the target city must be studied and understood by the evangelist who takes spiritual mapping seriously. Certain key questions must be answered. For example, how and why did the city begin? Who were the founders and what were their intentions and spiritual condition? Uh, What presently characterizes the city or what it is known for? And he goes on to say that this information is necessary to understand uh, race relations, natural disasters, all these things in praying for these cities. Now, Of course, you and I would both agree that we need to pray for individuals, we need to pray for nations, we need to pray for our leaders, but this goes beyond that. And what is really behind this is uh, the idea that there is demonic influence in these areas and that uh, people must pray strategically to uh, deal with these things. And they start with the individual level where people may have a background, for example, ancestral demonic possession and all these kinds of things going on to uh, occultic strongholds and then strategic prayer for these demographic regions. And uh, it actually gets into some areas that you and I, I think, would agree departs from the biblical pattern and it really gets into some, what I would say, some dangerous areas when it comes to, for the believer to attempt to uh, deal directly with demons and the demonic realm. Well, what you just mentioned leads me to a question seemingly needing to be answered, and that would be, does the Bible give any examples or teaching about this type of prayer mapping? Well, that's a great question, and again, as I've done my research, what I found was that those who attempt to defend this on biblical grounds, they go to places, for example, in the Old Testament, both in Deuteronomy and Numbers and uh, the book of Joshua, where they point to, for example, at Kadesh Barnea, where Moses sent in the 12 spies into the Promised Land, and they threw the Promised Land to figure out what was happening there, and of course, 10 of them came back with a report saying, we can't do this, and Joshua and Caleb said, our God can do this. And then the two spies that Joshua sent into Jericho to spy that out, and they they defense prayer mapping on the basis of those two accounts. But in fact, this has nothing to do with demons or prayer mapping. These were militarily strategic decisions that were made, and nothing in the biblical text in the Old Testament suggests that anybody praise with regard to trying to confront a demonic stronghold. And then further, in the New Testament, they point to Ephesians uh, chapter 6, where it talks about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so on. And they say that this also is a reference to prayer mapping. But actually, again, this was the furthest thing from Paul's mind. That was not his point at all. And so really, there is no biblical support anywhere that I can find that even remotely suggests this is possible. Well, David, what about the matter of territorial spirits? In other words, demons who might be involved with certain cities or geographical areas. There does seem to be some biblical support for this to a certain degree. For example, in Isaiah chapter 14, we read that there is an oracle or a prophecy through the prophet Isaiah concerning the king of Babylon, and most conservative scholars would see that 
uh, the things that are said concerning the king of Babylon actually go beyond what would be true of an earthly king, and therefore are directed to what I call the power behind the power. The prince, I would say, perhaps the prince of Babylon, who would be Satan in this particular instance. In Ezekiel 28, you see something very similar with regard to the king of Tyre, things that are said directed at the king of Tyre, but directed beyond the king of Tyre to one who seems to be empowering him. When you get to the book of Daniel, we find that when Gabriel came to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, he refers to the fact that he had been hindered by the prince of Persia, and Michael had actually come to the assistance of Gabriel in order to allow him to make his way to Daniel, there there does seem to be some uh, suggestion that these things might be true to a certain degree, but that is far different than the matter of spiritual mapping and believers coming directly up against uh, and confronting the demonic powers or even Satan himself, which has actually have become very popular within the charismatic and deliverance movements. Uh, where they talk about binding the strong man, etc., confronting Satan, rebuking Satan, binding Satan. That is a very, very different thing. We know that the powers of this world are influenced by demonic powers. That is different than believers confronting them directly. David, doesn't all of this actually involve a whole theology of spiritual warfare that really is not found any place in the Scriptures? That is exactly right. What we find is that as you dig into this deeper, I think I mentioned earlier, talking about ancestral spirits, they get into generational curses uh, that are passed on from generation to generation. If there was anybody, for example, in your family connected with witchcraft or perhaps demon-possessed, uh, that these things actually get passed on within families and they need to be dealt with. Uh, you run into things like Neil Anderson's book from quite a few years ago, uh, Bondage Breakers. C. Fred Dickinson, who was a theology professor at Moody Bible Institute, wrote a book called Demon Possession and the Christian, which suggests that, de- that uh, Christians can be demonized and that we need to deal with all these things at a spiritual level. So it starts there and then extends out to geographical regions. And again, there just simply is no biblical warrant for this. Again, the bottom line has to be, as always, to have a biblical understanding of how we are actually to deal with attacks there in the spiritual realm. That's exactly right, and I would say that there are several passages we could refer to in the New Testament to think about this. One is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, where Paul says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God? And then in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, John says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So I don't believe that we can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and also be possessed by a demon. And furthermore, when we go to the matter of how we deal with uh, demonic influences, James says that submit to God, 
resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So it's a purely defensive stance that we take. And even in Jude, Jude says, Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not bring against him a reviling accusation and said, the Lord rebuke you. So we are really, we don't need to, and we are actually commanded to not directly confront demons. That was an apostolic gift that was given uh, at the time that Jesus and the apostles lived. Wow, a great question and a wonderful discussion on what the Word of God has to say about not only prayer mapping, but uh, spiritual warfare, etc. David, thank you so much for your research, and dear brother there in Canada at Niagara Falls, thank you for sending us the email, and others of you, let me encourage you to do the same thing, either contact David at his website or us at prophecytoday.com. Great discussion, David. Thank you so much. We'll have another one, maybe from another listener, a question that we'll deal with next week. Thanks, Jimmy. Great to be with you again. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to take about eight minutes to take a look at the book and deal with all the issues we've covered here with our broadcast partners. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today weekend, our broadcast partners from around the world gave us great insight into the news. We take the headlines happening around the world, and then we go to these broadcast partners, many of them on location where the headline is being played out, 
and they give us the insight we need to understand all the details. Now, this is key if you're a student of Bible prophecy, because that will assist you in understanding how the stage is being set for these prophecies in the Bible to be fulfilled. What I do at the end of our weekend broadcast is take about eight minutes to give you a prophetic perspective on the news for that week. We're going to do that right now. I will rehearse what our broadcast partners brought to the broadcast table and then give you a prophetic perspective. Ken Timmerman, always our first broadcast partner on the weekend broadcast, came to the table. His headline was, Islamic State is not defeated. There are about twenty to 30,000 members of Islamic State located in Syria and Iraq. Well, first of all, let me say that that's exactly where Islamic State came into existence. The man who started Islamic State was a part of the military operation of Saddam Hussein in Iraq. When Saddam was killed, this man went over into Syria and established Islamic State for the purpose of being able to follow through on what Saddam really wanted to do, to become the caliph of a caliphate. The caliph is the chief operator of a caliphate, a worldwide dominion, or a kingdom, and he wanted an Islamic caliph, and so Islamic State was started to do that. You know, Islam is a major player in the end times. You can't find the word in the Bible, but you can look in all the states that are going to be a part of a coalition to destroy the Jewish state of Israel, as foretold in Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11. All of them, except with the leader, Russia, all the other states are Islamic. And of course, their eschatology calls for them to have a Mahdi, the Messiah, come back to power and lead the entire world under his Islamic faith to set up that worldwide caliphate. And so Ken was giving us a story that helps us to understand the Islamic State has not been wiped out. They're just in a whole position now waiting to expand and become the power that they are motivated to do by their eschatology. David Dolan has our weekly Middle East news update. David has been a journalist in that region of the world for over 35 years. He's reporting that Hezbollah, now that's the terrorist organization that is sponsored by Iran there in southern Lebanon at Israel's northwestern border. Hezbollah says they are stronger than the Israeli Defense Force today, and they're ready to go to war. I told you, Hezbollah, sponsored by Iran, is simply a surrogate terrorist organization, and they're going to be the point of the spear as Iran wants to invade and wipe Israel off the earth, Ezekiel 38 and verse 5, where Iran is referred to as Persia. I must remind you that the Israeli Defense Force can defeat Hezbollah. That's an absolute However, the Bible calls for God to intercede and destroy all the enemies of Israel, especially that alignment of nations that will operate in the first six months of the tribulation period. You can study that in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, verse 18, through chapter 39 and verse 6. 
Winky Madad came on the broadcast to the table with me to talk about the fact that the nationality law, which Israel just passed in their Knesset, is simply indicating that the Israelis want to have a Jewish state. And so this law, the nationality law, states Israel is a Jewish state. In addition to that, it confirms the flag for the Jewish state of Israel, the white and blue flag. It also is made law that Hebrew will be the language for the state of Israel. I have to tell you that though the fact is that the Palestinians want to get Israel expelled from the United Nations because of the law that was passed, that is not going to happen. But the Palestinian-Israeli conflict will continue on all the way to the return of Jesus Christ. That's Obadiah, verses 15 to 18. John Rood covers the European Union, another major region in this world. I would have to say it's the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, especially when you add what John brought to the table. The Mediterranean Union, when you put the two together, you have 44 different states. They are geography of the old Roman Empire. But I ask John, does Turkey have a role in NATO much longer into the future? Well, NATO was brought into existence to hold Russia at bay for the European Union. And you're looking at a state that is really a part of the Islamic world, Turkey. We know for sure, according to Ezekiel 38, verses 2 and 6, when Turkey is referred to as Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma, Turkey will play a key role in the end times. Everything they're doing is setting the stage for that. David James talked to us about prayer mapping and being able to control Satan. None of that is biblical as you study the prophetic word of God. It's an end-time scenario that Satan, Antichrist, and the false prophet will be a part of. Well, this is what we find when we rehearse the reports from our broadcast partners as it relates to the end-time scenario that is found in God's word. You know what the evidence is? The rapture is about to happen. Because you see, the rapture is going to precede any and every one of the items we talked about. The end time scenario next will be the rapture of the church. After the church is gone, there will be a seven-year period of time. That's detailed in Revelation chapter 4, verse 2 through chapter 19, verse 10. Sixteen chapters of detailed information. And everything I talked with my broadcast partners about will be found in that seven-year period of time. So we're now at the point of the rapture taking place. Isn't that exciting? The rapture actually could take place at any moment, even today. And there's actually nothing left for me to say after that, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.